Hello and welcome, everybody. It is Saturday, October 10th, 2020. As always, I'm your host, The Pody. I've been extremely busy over the last week. Did not, well, I was not able to do an episode, obviously, last weekend. Um, I've started doing the chains at some high school football games. High school football is back here in the state of New Jersey and coaching some softball with my dad. So it's been it's been rough over the last week or so. And I couldn't get an episode done last night, so I'm doing it tonight. So I'm a little bit behind, about two days behind with this episode. But I'm pumping it out right now. I'm not going to take up too much of your time. This is going to be a bit of a short one coming off the heels of last night's Game 5 loss for the New York Yankees, sending them packing. What a disappointment yet again for two years in a row. Araldis Chapman has served up a basically walk-off home run to uh, you know end the Yankees' hopes and dreams. And now for 10 straight seasons, the Yankees will go without a World Series title. More on that later. Uh, we've got we've got to start off with the NBA. I do want to talk some Thursday night football. I'll sprinkle that in there. But we're going to start with the NBA Finals because I will admit a little bit that I was wrong. I told my good buddy that who is a Heat fan that I did not give the Heat much chance um, in this year's shortened season with the pandemic going on in the Disney bubble. I figured the way the Lakers were playing, they were just going to roll in and sweep the Miami Heat. And I figured maybe, you know, the Heat would get one one win here. But after last night's game five, hey, the Heat proved me wrong and they showed that they came to play. They did not want to go home. All this talk about the Lakers 4-0 in their Mamba jerseys. And Jimmy Butler said... Uh, yeah, not so fast. You haven't played me in those Mamba jerseys. And he put the team on his back with a triple-double, and they, you know, avoid going home, much like the Yankees did. Uh, but to before we get to Game 5, we have to recap what happened in the previous couple of games. So uh, down 2-0 in the series, the Heat were looking to avoid that, that 3-0 series deficit because that's just... You go down 3-0, you can kiss any chance of winning the finals goodbye. And once again, Jimmy Butler made sure they did not lose. He spoke earlier uh, in the day about how they had to play damn near perfect. And, well, he was perfect. A 40-point triple-double for Jimmy Buckets. In the end, his stat line, he finished a night with 40 points, 11 rebounds, and 13 assists. He is the first player to outscore, out-rebound, and out-assist LeBron James in a finals game as the Heat got the win in game three, 115 to 114. Look, uh, how do you, how else do you say it other than, you know, Jimmy F and Butler? I could care less about, you know, a triple-double. Um, he played his game to win. I'm, I'm glad my teammates got a lot of trust and faith in me to go out there and uh, hoop like that. But like I always say, if you guarantee me a win, I could care less. Now, look, Jimmy Butler isn't necessarily looked at as a top 10 player. Fell under the radar when he was drafted out of Marquette. 
but my goodness, he becomes just the third player in NBA history with a 40-point triple-double in the NBA Finals, joining Jerry West and LeBron James, some company there, and he is quietly working his way into that top 10 status as an NBA player. Okay, game four was on Tuesday. The big news here at the start of this one was that Bam Adebayo was back as the Heat looked to even up the series. You had Goran Dragic. He tested his leg, his ankle, prior to this game. He he tried to, you know, he pregame tried to shoot around with it, but it just was not going to happen. So, you know, gutsy effort, but will not, you know, did not play in, in this game. The... uh as for Bam Adebayo dealing with a shoulder injury, he actually had to do a push-up test to get the green light to play um, in this one. The Lakers weren't worried, though. They're 3-0 and in these playoffs after a loss beating teams by an average of 12 points. Miami did come to play, though. They have showed some grit in this one. Well, we pick it up in the fourth quarter with the game tied at 83 when LeBron splits the defenders for the and one, just too strong. He should do that just about every time. He finished with 28 uh, points, 12 rebounds, eight assists as the Lakers went up three games to one. Um, excuse me, as the Lakers went up three at that moment. Uh, with, with the Lakers up six and 45 seconds to go, this was the dagger. Rajon Rondo finds Anthony Davis just about top of the key. Um, he hits the three. And that's pretty much the game. AD finished with 22 points. The Lakers win this one 102 to 96, bringing them, you know, one win closer from that title. The job is not done. And, um, you know, we get an opportunity to get our bodies back up underneath us with an extra day of rest, but also keep our minds sharp. You know, I'm looking forward once again to looking at the film tomorrow, um, do all-around-the-clock treatment, and, uh, and treating it like we play Thursday. I'm going to continue to get the work in. I'm going to continue to not sleep until the job is done. So look forward to the next match. Okay, now we can pick it up with game five, which was yesterday. Jimmy Butler finishing with 35 points, 12 rebounds, 11 assists in a must win. So yet again, another triple-double in these NBA finals. This one was back and forth all night and got really interesting down the stretch. A bunch of lead changes Uh, with 12 seconds left. The Lakers down 109 to 108. LeBron drives and kicks to Danny Green, who misses a wide open three. Markeith Morris would get the rebound, though. He fakes the shot and then, oh, he throws it out of bounds, trying to hit Anthony Davis under the basket. That was your ball game. The Heat hold on to win this one 111 to 108. We do, and we will have a game six tomorrow night. Here's LeBron on that final possession. One of the best shots that we could have got, you know, I feel in that fourth quarter, um, especially down the stretch with two guys on me, Duncan Robinson and Jimmy. And um, Danny had a hell of a look. It just didn't go down. Yeah, it, it's it's really a tough, a, a tough pill to swallow there because you're so close. If he hits that shot, they win the NBA finals. But as it stands now, they don't hit the shot, and now it's a little bit dicey. You're still in control of this one up 3-2, but you've got to think, if you can, if you don't win game six tomorrow, all the pressure is going to be on LeBron James, and he's going to have to start sweating a little bit because he's been here before. Imagine if he loses another 
NBA Finals. On the flip side, uh, Jimmy Butler, he's not ready to go home. Uh, he likes the position that his team is in. I left it all out there on the floor along with my guys, and that's how we're going to have to play from here on out. Um, like I always say, it's, it's win to win for us. But this is the position that we're in. We like it this way. We got two more in a row to get. Now, Jimmy Butler is just the sixth player in NBA history to record multiple triple doubles in a single NBA Finals. He joins the likes of Magic, Wilt, Bird, Draymond Green, and LeBron James. Okay, let's talk WNBA real quick. The Seattle Storm have swept the Las Vegas Aces 3 to nothing in a blowout 92-59 victory to win the WNBA title. Brianna Stewart had 26 points in this deciding game and the Storm have won their fourth title in case anyone was really wondering or paying attention to the WNBA. Seattle did go undefeated in the postseason, 6-0 for what that's worth, and Brianna Stewart was named MVP of the finals. Okay, let's talk NFL. The Saints overcame a 14-0 deficit to beat the Detroit Lions, so the Lions blow yet another double-digit lead. Things were pretty dicey on Saturday night, though, because we were not sure if this game would be played. There was a Saints player that tested positive for COVID, putting their game in jeopardy. However, it turned out to be a false positive, and the game did commence as scheduled. Drew Brees threw for two touchdowns, and the Saints snapped a two-game losing streak. No Michael Thomas uh, for the Saints. Hopefully, they are looking to get him back this Monday night. He's missed the last three or four games at this point. Uh, speaking of washed-up quarterbacks, uh, Tom Brady is not one of them. The 43-year-old turned a 24-7 deficit into a 38-31 victory, thanks in large part to his five touchdown passes to five different receivers. He becomes the oldest quarterback to ever throw five touchdown passes. Joe Burrow, on the flip side, one of the youngest quarterbacks in the league, the number one overall pick, etched his name in the record book Sunday when he became the first rookie in NFL history to throw for 300-plus yards in three consecutive games. He also did pick up his first career NFL victory against the Jacksonville Jaguars in this one. In Big D, it was all about OBJ. He totaled 154 yards, two touchdown receptions, and then had one eye-popping 50-yard touchdown run on an incredible individual effort in the Browns' upset of the Cowboys. So OBJ traded away from the New York Giants in the NFC East, and yet he comes back and you know, makes the Cowboys pay once again. Despite taking the loss, Dak Prescott became the first NFL player with 400-plus passing yards in three straight games, but Dallas drops to 1-3 and three in a 49-38 slugfest. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys defense is one of the worst in the NFL at this present moment, and, you know, Take it for what for what it is. It's still early. They still have a good chance to win this division, um, you know, with the teams that are there. But Mike McCarthy, let me tell you something. Jets fans wanted wanted them to go out, you know, wanted Christopher Johnson to go out and hire Mike McCarthy. I'm glad we didn't. You know, we don't have it much better, okay, with Adam Gase. But 
Look at what's going on in Dallas right now. Mike McCarthy is not the answer. They are putting up unbelievable numbers on offense, yet they are still losing games. They should be 0-4 right now, if not for a boneheaded Atlanta Falcons team that they ran into that forgot how the rules work and forgot to you know pick up an onside kick. Otherwise, they are 0-4, and we are talking about Jerry Jones and the leash he's going to give Mike McCarthy, and will he fire him, and we still could you know, end up down that road because right now, I'm sorry, the Cowboys do not look like a playoff team. Okay, let's pick up uh, Monday night's game, Pats versus Chiefs. This game had to be moved to Monday night football due to Cam Newton testing positive for COVID. So no Cam Newton in in this one. The Pats actually um, had to wait until game day to fly to Kansas City so you can guess they were at a bit of a disadvantage already. And then surprisingly, uh, Bill Belichick elected to go with the veteran Brian Hoyer to start this one over Jared Stidham, which I thought was a little bit interesting because Stidham was supposed to be the successor to to Tom Brady. Uh, they seemed to like him so much they didn't even draft a quarterback in this year's draft. But they go with Brian Hoyer. Um These were not ideal conditions for Bill Belichick by any means. The tough part is that they held the Chiefs without a touchdown in the first half. Imagine that. They're, I think, the only team to do that in the Patrick Mahomes era. However, turnovers were the the big story in this one. Uh, Brian Hoyer threw a pick early on, and then with no timeouts, down 6-3 to at the end of the half, he took a sack. A big no-no. You cannot do that. The clock, they had no timeouts, so the clock ran out. Otherwise, they would have tied the game, so they go into the locker room down 6-3 and momentum not on their side at all. Uh, eventually, Jared Stidham was brought on in the second half, and things did not go much better. Stidham threw two interceptions, including a pick six, although the pick six did go right through Julian Edelman's hand, so not really on Stidham at all. But uh, not not good for Bill Belichick's club on Monday night. The Chiefs got um, a bit of a scare, but in the end, they pulled it out and covered. They win 26-10. Here's both coaches after the game. Yeah, I would say it's disappointing. You know, we had some opportunities and we weren't able to take advantage of them. Um, I think they're a good football team, those kind of opportunities. They had an obstacle. They had to fly in today. So, I mean, that's not an easy thing. Plus, no quarterback. Uh, they were using backup quarterbacks. Here's one stat for you. The Chiefs are the first team in NFL history to start 4-0 and or better in four consecutive seasons. So the Super Bowl champs looking strong. Okay, let's talk the other Monday night football game, the the real Monday night football game, the Packers and Falcons. I almost took the Falcons to cover. I don't know what I was thinking when I was deciding on that or not, but luckily I just uh, I thought better of it and decided not to take it. Aaron Rodgers continued to find success yet again without his top two receivers. He was a perfect 20 for 20 when targeting his running backs and tight ends, including all four of his touchdowns, the pack improved to 4-0 in their 30-16 win over the Falcons. 
So it's a good win for us. Now we get a chance to get healthy. You know, it's going to be a long stretch after the bye, but I like where we're at. I like our team. You know, I think we had a lot to work on, which makes the coaches happy. And we're 4-0, which makes the players happy. Yes, they are 4-0. They are tops in the NFC uh, North division. And right now, they are a better's dream. They have covered in every single game. So look for the pack. If you are uh, wanting to bet something for Sunday's games, look look at the Packers. Who are they playing this week? Oh, no, they have the bye. That's right. They go into the bye. So pick this up in, in week six. Look, look to bet the Packers coming out of a bye for sure. That should be easy money there. Okay. Uh, it took four games, but we've seen our first head coach firing, and it was not Adam Gase. In fact, it was the Texans firing GM head coach Bill No'Brien after the 0-4 start. He went 52-48 with four division titles, but never got the team to the AFC Championship game. And in fact, last season, you will all remember when he blew a 24-0 lead over the Kansas City Chiefs in the divisional round and then proceeded in the offseason to trade possibly the best wide receiver in football, DeAndre Hopkins, to the Arizona Cardinals for a somewhat washed-up David Johnson. Just a bad combo all around, and then it looks to be that, you know, Deshaun Watson has started to regress just a little bit. So Bill No'Brien, as I call him, fired as GM and head coach of the Houston Texans. It looks like uh, Romeo Cronell, longtime veteran defensive coordinator, will take over in interim duties for the Texans. And it turns, as it turns out, we learned uh, earlier in the week that uh, just before his firing, J.J. Watt and Bill O'Brien got into a very heated argument during a practice. So, you know, it is a player's world. The coaches are just living in it, okay? Players make way more money than the coaches do. And when you fight with your star player, it's not the star player that gets shipped out. It's you. Although he did ship out DeAndre Hopkins, but that partially led to his getting fired. Okay, and now we can pick it up with that Thursday night game between Tampa Bay and Chicago. Tom Brady versus Nick Foles, a rematch of a Super Bowl from just a few seasons ago. I took the Tampa Bay Buccaneers getting three and a half, okay? And I thought that they were going to cover easily. They go up 13 to nothing early, okay? Mike Evans and Leonard Fournette, who were questionable, doubtful, both uh, active in this one. So Mike Evans playing on that hobbled ankle. Fournette was active, but he did not play at all, I don't think, just there in an emergency situation. Look, the Bucks went up 13 to nothing. I bet on Mike Evans to score the first touchdown of the game, so I hit that bet nicely there. But then again, like I said, I had the Bucks covering at three and a half, looking strong up 13-0. I was a little disappointed because they, if they got the touchdown, uh, they would have went up 17-0, and I would have felt a lot better. Minute 50 goes by or so. I don't even think it was two minutes. There's a turnover by the Bucks, and next thing you know, they go to halftime, and the Bears are, are, are winning 14-13. And Tampa Bay was dominating this game. So I did not feel good about this. The Bucs, unfortunately, had to settle for field goal after field goal after field goal in the uh, second half and after the first touchdown of the game. And they end up finding themselves down 20 to 19 with one final chance just under a minute to go. You give the ball to Tom Brady, that's easy money, right? To go down, get a field goal and win the game. 
well. However, you have the Bucks on a fourth and five situation, game on the line. Tom Brady tries to get a big chunk play, throws an incomplete pass, ending the game. However, Brady was shown holding up the number four, thinking that it was only third down, and now that they were and now they were on fourth down. But he had to be pulled off the field because in fact that was fourth down. It was a turnover on downs, and the Bears took a knee and game over. So here was Tom Brady's explanation, as well as Bruce Arians, when they were both asked about what happened on this final possession. Yeah, I knew we needed a chunk, and I was thinking about more yardage. And then, uh, you know, it was just it was bad execution. And we had a great opportunity there, so just didn't, uh, didn't execute when we needed to. Was it was it clear for you guys whether it was third or fourth down on, on that last play? Yeah, we just uh, – you're up against the clock, and you're up against the, the – uh, you know, I knew we had to gain a chunk, so I should have been thinking more first down instead of chunk on that down. So. Bruce, at the end of the game there, that last drive, it, it looked like Tom might have been confused with what down it was. Did he not know it was fourth down? Yeah, he knew. He knew. He clearly didn't know, and that's, you know, they're not going to admit to that. Uh, Tom Brady is the GOAT. He did have a running back open over the middle. He just, you know, lost track uh, of time and, and what down it was and tried to get a chunk play, like he said, and it happens to the best of us. Uh, mental lapse there. Um, the Bucks unfortunately dropped to three and two. They're now tied with the Saints atop that division. Saints holding the tiebreaker, of course. Um, and also, one quick thing I want to note in this game. Last Thursday night when the Jets played the Broncos, Sam Darnold got absolutely slammed to the ground on a sack. There was no flag thrown, and Sam Darnold actually, I thought he broke his collarbone. He left to the locker room in serious pain, miraculously came back, finished the game, and looked pretty good doing it despite everything. We now find out he's got maybe a mild, you know, shoulder separation or something, and he is week to week. He will not play this week. Uh, Joe Flacco going to take over for the Jets there. But what my point is, is that when that play happened and Sam Darnold got sacked and thrown, slammed to the ground in the manner that he did, I was completely floored and completely uh, just lost my mind at the fact that they did not throw a flag. Troy Aikman or whoever was on the game, the Fox crew, I think it was maybe Aikman and, um, and Buck, not one of them mentioned the fact that Sam Darnold got slammed to the ground and the fact that there was no flag thrown. Yet let me tell you, this same thing happened on Thursday night with Tom Brady getting sacked by Khalil Mack and getting slammed to the ground. It was not even the same play in which Darnold was thrown. Darnold's was way more egregious. Yet guess what? Tom Brady got the flag. And Sam Darnold did not. I want that crew that worked that jet game because it was an epic disaster. You know, that uh, refereeing crew, that officiating crew should at minimum be suspended one week and fined all of them because that is totally egregious that they let that happen. 
and not one person brought it up, mentioned it on the broadcast, or talked about it after the game. I have not heard a single person talk about this. And now Sam Darnold's development, you know, he's going to miss at least one game, and this is now his third year, you know, in this league, and he has not made it through a full season one time. I thought the official's job is to protect the quarterback They have a single job to do is to protect the quarterback and they failed Sam Darnold last Thursday night. So, so shame on that officiating crew and shame on the league for not coming out and talking about how they missed that call and that they need to do better. That's my rant about that. I'm not pissed that the Jets are 0-4. None of that matters. I am pissed at the fact that they missed a terrible Terrible, egregious act by a defensive lineman slamming a quarterback onto his throwing shoulder, no less. And now Sam Darnold's growth gets stunted because he has to miss at least one week and possibly more and probably can't throw while he's recuperating. I mean, this is just a joke. All right, let me give you some picks now that I've had a chance to calm down. Uh, Week five, Jets Cardinals. There was a, uh, a a presumptive positive test by the New York Jets just, I think, yesterday or the day before, and it turned out to be a false positive. So the Cardinals did board their plane and have landed as of uh, yesterday, so they are here in Jersey, ready to and set to take on the New York Jets. Cardinals are uh, tough right now. They started 2-0. They've, lost, they've dropped two in a row, have not looked good in those two games, but guess what? They get to play the Jets now. And, you know, now they'll look real good. And Joe Flacco manning this Jets squad, okay, uh, Cardinals are at, sitting at seven here, uh, seven-point favorites on the road coming cross country. I'll take me some Cardinals. If you want to take an alternate spread to be safe at minus six and a half, go ahead. The Cardinals, like I said, they haven't looked good, but this is their bounce back week. They will probably beat the Jets by 21. All right, um, some other games on the docket that I like. You've got the Atlanta Falcons uh, against their division rival, the the Panthers. Uh, you want to talk about Dan Quinn on the hottest seat in football right now. If his team does not win this game, he will be fired. You can guarantee that. Book it. I just said it. Uh, I'm taking the Falcons minus two and a half at home against the Panthers who have, you know, somewhat overachieved. They're sitting at two and two, but they've got no CMC for the foreseeable future. Uh, I like what they've been doing under their new head coach, Matt Rule, Teddy Bridgewater. They've been nice, but the Falcons, come on, they've got to get a win here. They're a little bit healthier now. Uh, Let's see what they can do at home. I like them there. Okay, what else? You've got the Steelers getting seven against the Eagles. They they couldn't play last week, so they basically had a bye. So they're essentially coming off a bye. The Eagles got a big win in, in uh, their game to get to uh, you know their first victory uh, on the season in a bit of an upset of the 49ers. But the Steelers, they're getting uh, seven. I like the Steelers here by, by at least uh, 10 points. Uh, you've got the 49ers ho- uh, hosting the Dolphins. It's been announced that Jimmy Garoppolo will start, so San Fran is favored by eight right now, and I think they could win this game by at least 10. You've got the Giants-Cowboys, okay? Dallas favored by seven and a half at home. No surprise there. I'll take Dallas, but the better bet here, in my opinion, is the over in points. Giants have struggled to score touchdowns, but they're facing the Dallas Cowboys. This is always a big rivalry, so I think there could be a lot 
of points scored in this game. And then you have same thing in the Seattle, excuse me, Seattle, Minnesota game. I like Seattle by seven, but more importantly, I like the over in points there. And you've got the Monday night game is the Saints hosting the Chargers. Saints favored by eight. If they get Michael Thomas back, I'll take the Saints to win this by at least a t- uh, by at least two touchdowns. Um, and then you got the Titans hosting the Bills. A couple of undefeated teams. Titans are dealing with COVID running rampant throughout that organization. Apparently, the big story this week is it spread because Ryan Tannehill decided to hold a workout outside of team facilities, and it just started to spread like wildfire. But that game looks like it is a go on Tuesday night, and you've got Josh Allen. Got this Bills team at 4-0 atop the uh, AFC East. Titans, again, 3-0 atop the AFC South. One of these teams is going to lose. One of these teams will stay undefeated. I like the Bills in that one. Okay, that should just about wrap it up. Those are my picks. That's the NFL. Let's move on and talk baseball. All right, so I said it at the top of the show. Unfortunately, the New York Yankees got bounced last night in Game 5 against their division rival, the Tampa Bay Rays. The Rays get it done. They hit a basically walk-off home run in the 8th inning, and they win this one 2-1. So let's just quickly back up real quick. So you had the Yankees winning Game 1, feeling good, undefeated in the playoffs. Stanton hits a grand slam in the ninth inning, and the Yankees win, like 9-3, whatever. Game two and three, the Rays come back and win. Yankees look terrible. Aaron Boone, with the biggest mistake ever, um, started Davey Garcia, tried to get cute up 1-0 in the series, let him pitch one inning, and then just brought in Jay Happ, who proceeded to give up two home runs, and the Yankees lost badly. Game four, Yankees in a must-win. They get it done, win 4-2-1. Jordan Montgomery pitched brilliantly through three innings, did his job. And the Yankees uh, got some home run, a home run from uh, Luke Voigt and then Glaber Torres with a huge two-run bomb. Yankees win 4-1. Pick it up last night on three days rest, Garrett Cole. Never pitched on three days rest in a must-win. Yankees give him the ball. Rays give it to Tyler Glass now, coming off of just two days rest. And it was a pitcher's duel from the jump. Garrett Cole works himself into and out of a first-inning jam. Like, wow, a huge first-inning jam. He loads the bases and falls behind 3-0 on Joey Wendell before coming back to strike him out looking. Uh, That was the biggest thing for Garrett Cole and the Yankees in the first to get out of that because they started rolling after. Um, And in fact, for Garrett Cole, that was just the second inning in his entire career, both in the regular season and the postseason, in which he's issued multiple walks and a hit batter. The other came back in 2016. So that just shows you what a spectacular uh, pitcher that Cole is. Just unbelievable. Uh, Aaron Judge, I think, in the third inning, hits an opposite field home run, puts the Yankees up one to nothing. Later in the game, I think fifth inning, Cole's last inning, he or it might have been the fourth inning, he serves up a home uh, a solo shot to Austin Meadows to tie the game. He did last just five innings, um, but they were five dominant innings, okay? He had... Nine strikeouts. He is the seventh pitcher all-time to strike out nine in a winner-take-all game on three days rest. 
He is the first to do so since Mark Mulder in the 2002 ALDS. Okay, when he exited the game, it was one to one. They brought on Zach Britton, who threw two innings, looked pretty good. And then they brought in, well, actually, he threw one and two thirds innings because Aaron Boone elected to go to Araldis Chapman, his closer, to get the final seven outs of the game. Plus, the Yankees needed to score a run to do so. And in the eighth inning, this guy, uh, Mike Brousseau, whatever, comes up to the plate and he's battling and battling and Chapman is throwing fastball after fastball. And each fastball he throws, Brousseau looks more locked in, fouls it off better and better each time. He threw him a one, one slider that he just pulled down the line uh, way out in front. And then he gets to 3-2 and I'm saying... You better not throw this guy another fastball. You are better off walking him before you throw him another fastball. And what does Araldis Chapman do? He throws him the god darn fastball. And just like I figured would happen, Brousseau hits it over Brett Gardner's head in left field for the home run. Uh, actually, it might, I don't know if it was Brett Gardner out in left field. Uh whatever, whoever's head he hit it over. He hits the home run, and that basically, like I said, ended the game. Uh, Brousseau is the seventh player ever to enter a winner-take-all game as a sub and hit a home run, the last being David Ross in Game 7 of the 2016 World Series. The Rays advancing to their second-ever ALCS with a with the 2-1 victory. Unbelievably, this stat blew my mind. This is the problem with baseball in today's day and age, 34 of the 45 runs in this series between the Yankees and Rays were scored via the home run. That is 75.6%. That is the highest rate in any postseason series of at least three games all time. This is a huge problem for baseball. I'm sorry. We're not seeing singles. We're not seeing doubles. We're seeing home runs left and right. And I think it's partially because of the baseballs. Um, I think that they are juiced a little bit. I think that pitchers are throwing harder than ever. So the ball is going to fly out of the park, you know, harder. It's going to come off the bat uh, faster. Okay. Uh, Brousseau's home run came on a 100.2 mile an hour fastball from Araldis Chapman. That is the fastest pitch that any player has hit for a home run in Major League Baseball this season, both regular and playoffs. Uh, it's also the fastest pitch hit for a home run in the postseason since at least 2008. That, to me, was a little bit surprising, but wow. Uh, so, yeah, once again, the Yankees sent packing. Uh, this one does sting for sure. So uh, we'll, we'll see what, you know, we'll see what the Yankees do in the offseason. They've got some decisions to make. Personally, um, I don't think they have too many decisions to make. Look, I mean, this was a shortened 60-game season. We don't know what would have happened over 162 games. The Yankees, uh, I mean, they were playing this series in San Diego, California, without fans. You put them in New York with, you know, thousands of, of, of fans. Uh, you know, they have a huge advantage compared to, you know, playing in Tampa Bay where they can never struggle to get fans into that ballpark there. Uh, but it, it's just, it was a weird year. The Yankees lost their pitch. They lost pitchers. James Paxton wasn't on, you know, wasn't able to finish the season. He got hurt. Uh, you have no Luis Severino this season. Uh, I, I mean, they are going to be, uh, I hate to say it, but 
Yankee fans probably don't feel this way. They should be fine. They're going to be back in this position next year with a chance to win another World Series. They've Okay, they've got decisions to make with some free agents. DJ LeMahieu, obviously, they're going to re-sign him, of course, right? You've got... Um, Garrett Cole for like nine more years. That's fine. He's good to go. He he showed why, you know, you paid him uh, as much as you did. Granted, he's making more than the Rays' entire team combined. You know, that's just one of those things that happens. The analytics is my problem. Okay, yes, Gary Sanchez couldn't get off the bench in this, in this series, which is another issue in and of itself. But I don't think you can give up on Gary right now. I just don't. Um, I think you need to just let him, let him hit, let, just let Gary be Gary. I don't even care about his catching ability anymore. The Yankees messed him up by trying to, you know, they're, they're, they're all about the analytics. So framing and this and that, no, just let Gary be Gary. That's why Gary Sanchez was one of the best players in baseball when he first came up hitting home run after home run after home run. Many believe he's the most talented hitter on this team at times, but he just has struggled mightily over the last couple of years because everybody is focusing in on his catching ability and it is shown in his hitting. Um, and, and so that's an issue there. Okay. But realistically, the analytics got to go. The Yankees won a world series in, Nine. That's the last time they won a World Series. This is the New York Yankees, 27-time world champs. They got to do better than that. They've got to get to more World Series than that. And that's the that's what I f- struggle with. Not only have they haven't won is have they not won a World Series since 2009. They haven't even made it back to one. I mean, they came closest in 2017, and then of course last year as well. But it's just been it's been tough to watch because it seems to be the same thing every time. They make boneheaded uh, decisions and, and, you know, pinch hitters and and starting this guy over that guy. And then Boone, the pitching is the problem. The pitching is the problem because Boone, his decision making to take one guy out and bring another guy, it's just it's all over the place. And then that move to start Davey Garcia in game two and then just pull him after one inning. I, I have to I struggle to wonder if that even came from Aaron Boone, but that's my problem. I would honestly, I I know this is just in the moment, but I think you've got to move on. Move on from uh move on from Cashman. I think that's where it starts. I think you've got to move on from Brian Cashman. The analytics do not work in baseball because analytics, for one, you think every night your Zach Brittons, your Chad Greens, and your Roldis Chapmans are going to have their A-game stuff every single night, but that's not how baseball works. That's not how human beings work, okay? They cannot be perfect. They're not robots. That's why they are human beings. So when you look at the analytics and the stats and everything else, and then you go, okay, you're going to pitch this guy five innings, and then boom, this guy's coming in for one, then this guy, no, you got to check the pulse of the game. When Chad Green came in in game four when the Yankees won that game, Chad Green should have been left in because he was basically, a, he could not pitch in game five. So you leave Chad Green in, he was dealing. But no, he then goes to Britain and then they go to Chapman for the closeout. And it's like, why are you doing that? You're putting, you know, you're using pitchers that you don't necessarily need to use in this game. And that's my problem with the analytics. And if you want to argue, yes, the Rays Im- Im- implement the analytics probably uh, 
just as much as the Yankees, if not more. And they have built their organization off of uh, a small payroll and and just finding guys. A lot of these guys, uh, you know, coming over in the Chris Archer trade. You've got Austin Meadows who hit the couple big home runs in this one coming over from the Pirates in that trade. Uh, they just find guys to get it done. But man, they are one hateable team. Uh, this, they talk so much crap about the Yankees and throwing up and in on Brousseau earlier in the season and wearing T-shirts called the 98ers and all this stuff. Yet how many times did the Yankees get thrown up and in on in this series? And there was no reaction. And that's the other thing with the Yankees. I was very disappointed because they let the Rays hitters just sit in that box and feel way too comfortable. Randy Arazarena, you would think this guy is Mike Trout. He looked better than Mike Trout in this series. I mean, had what, like 11 hits? Uh, of course, um, Gardy had to rob him of the home run in game five. I mean, the guy was just raking all series long. And, and, and it's because they didn't brush these guys off the plate. They didn't make them feel uncomfortable. They didn't hit any batters. I think G-Man Choi was the only batter that got plunked in this one, and he basically leaned into it with the elbow guard. But I, that's the other thing. Like, where are, are, are the Yankees? And the Yankees are one of the most poorly coached staff, uh, teams in baseball. Glaber Torres is like a project there over at shortstop. He dogs every ground ball, tries to field it to the side, stands up tall when he's throwing, makes a million freaking errors. The Yankees, once again, year after year, don't know how to hold runners on. Okay, my high school team held runners on better than the New York Yankees do. I mean, it's pathetic. They are so poorly coached and so poorly run as an organization from top down at this point that I don't even recognize this team as as the New York Yankees anymore. They're getting beat by a team in the Rays that, like I just said, has a, a what, $40 million uh, a budget? Uh, I, I mean, salary? $40 million is what this team is making combined. And the Yankees' payroll is $240 million. And like I said, Garrett Cole makes more than the entire Rays team. And they got smoked. In the, well, not smoke, but you know what I'm saying. They got beat and embarrassed, and they're the Yankees. They're the team that's supposed to do the beating. They're the team that's supposed to win the decisive winner-take-all games. And no, instead, it was the Rays. And the Rays proved to be the better team in this series, and they will probably beat the Astros, who, shockingly enough, are into the ALCS for the fourth straight time. And uh, I, I just, I give up. Um, but the Yankees... There's no room to really panic, although I do believe that Cashman's got to go. I just, I just don't like what he's brought to this to this organization for the last ten years. I'm sorry, I don't, and I'm starting to lose it on 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 uh, Aaron Boone a little bit too. But uh, I don't know, I don't know. It's it's not necessarily time to hit the panic button because this, like I said, this was an anomaly type of season, and next year in a full season, uh, things should be different. In the uh, on the flip side for the NL, you've got the Braves and the Dodgers sweeping both their series. Dodgers made easy work of the Padres, and the Braves made easy work of the Marlins. So the Marlins uh, Cinderella story season has officially come to an end. So should be some good matchups right now. Um, I'm liking the Rays in the American League, the Dodgers in the National League, and I truly believe the Dodgers will win the World Series this year. So. All right, guys, that's it for uh, baseball. That's it for pretty much everything I've got to say. 
No, this uh, on this date in sports this week, but uh, I've got something special for you to go over right now, and that is uh, yesterday. Um, we heard, we all heard the news: the passing of Whitey Ford at the age of ninety-one. One of the most iconic. Yankee players ever, the most iconic Yankees pitcher ever. Uh, born Edward Charles Whitey Ford was uh, uh, born on October 21st, 1928. Got the nickname uh, Whitey in the minor leagues um, He because of his luscious blonde hair. Uh, he grew up in Queens. He made his major league debut for the Yankees in 1950 and spent his entire career with the Bronx Bombers. I saw a documentary with Whitey Ford and uh, he said, Grew up a huge Yankee fan. Of course, grew up, started to play stickball and sandlot ball. And he got scouted by about three teams, the Yankees being one of them. And they offered him $7,000. And of course, back then, he's like, that's more money than I've ever seen. But he said that, you know, they could have offered him nothing and he still would have signed with the Yankees because, you know, that was his team that he grew up watching, went to Yankee Stadium for the first time when he was 11 years old. Um, in the 50s, when... Pulitzer Prize winning sports columnist Jim Murray wrote that rooting for the Yankees was like rooting for General Motors of or, or U.S. Steel. There was one man who was chairman of the board. That was uh, Whitey Ford's other nickname, chairman of the board. He helped the Yankees win six World Series titles and 11 American League pennants in his 16 seasons. He had a career record of 236 wins, 106 losses, setting the Yankees record for victories. His career winning percentage of 690 is the best for any pitcher with at least 300 career decisions. He was the Cy Young Award winner in 1961 when he posted a 25 and 4 record. He was also a 10 time All Star. And uh, most impressive, his 10 World Series victories are the most for any pitcher. And he threw uh, 33 and two-thirds consecutive scoreless innings in World Series play, breaking a record that was set by Babe Ruth. He also still holds records for World Series starts, 22 innings pitched, 146, and strikeouts, 94. So yes, Whitey Ford passing away on Friday at the age of 91. He dealt with Alzheimer's for uh, the last few years. And I think he passed away at his home in uh, on, on Long Island. Um, and the last thing he saw was the Yankees beat the Rays in game four of the ALDS. So, hey, pretty cool uh, thing there. But, yes, we remember the passing of Edward Charles Whitey Ford as he passes away on October 8th or 9th. 2020. All right, guys, that's going to wrap this thing up. Hope you enjoy your weekend. I'm supposed to go uh, play some golf tomorrow morning, so that should be uh, fun. Um, yeah, that's about it. You've got, you know, uh, game six of the NBA Finals tomorrow night. You've got Monday night football. You've got Tuesday night football. You've got Thursday night football. You've got uh, ALDS, NLDS starts uh, Monday, and I think tomorrow and Monday. Um, so yeah, it should be a fun week of sports. I look forward to talking to you guys next week, probably going to be on my new time and date of Saturdays for going forward for the next few weeks here as I, uh, am working, uh, most Fridays for the next few weeks. But with that being said, guys, I hope you, uh, stay healthy, enjoy your weekend. And I look forward to talking to you guys in one week from today.
So long. Pody out.